Rainmaker FM. And welcome back to the Writer Files. I am still your host, Kelton Reed, here to take you on yet another tour of the habits, habitats, and brands of renowned writers. Hope your 2018 is off to a productive start. This week, we're bringing back another fan favorite from the archives. The multiple New York Times bestselling author of A Whole New Mind, Drive, and To Sell as Human, Daniel Pink dropped by the show back in 2015 to chat with me about his experience as a TV producer, his take on writer's block, and productivity and creativity hacks for nonfiction writers. This is a replay of that interview I did with Dan in honor of the publication of his latest book, When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing, a book that aims to unlock the scientific secrets to good timing to help you flourish at work, at school, and at home. The Behavior Expert's sixth book is being hailed by many as one of the must-read business and leadership books of 2018. And the Wall Street Journal wrote, Dan Pink's deeply researched but never boring study could be a turning point. Mr. Pink has also written for the New York Times, Harvard Business Review, Sunday Telegraph, Fast Company, and Wired, to name a few. In this file, Dan and I discuss why you should never check email before you write, the effectiveness of word count quotas, why the adage butt in chair really works, how to structure your writing schedule to beat resistance, the author's exhaustive reading recommendations, his fantasy Chipotle table guests, and why you need to get over yourself and just get to work. Also, if you want to hear Dan talking more in depth about his newest book, check out the Unemployable podcast interview he did with Brian Clark uh, over there at unemployable.fm. That will be available after January 10th. Cheers. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Dan, thanks so much for agreeing to come on the Writer Files and update your file. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Well, actually, I thought this was the Rockford file, so I guess I meant... <laughs> I think that's been off I, the I air. That would be so cool. I'm going to be on the Rock, Rockford file? I thought that show was off the air. <laughs> so now that you know you're not on the Rockford files, would you like to yes. update your, your Writer File? Oh, uh, sure. What that? Why not? Absolutely. Let's talk about you, the author. For listeners who may not know you or your work, who are you and what is your area of expertise as a writer? Who am I? I am Daniel Pink. I am a uh, middle-aged white man who lives in Washington, D.C. And for the last uh, 18 years, I have been working for myself and mostly centered around writing books. And the books tend to be about business work, and human behavior. And where can we find your writing? You can find it at your local library, in your favorite online or offline bookstore. You can find it online at www.danpink.com. And what are you presently working on, Dan? I am working on anticipating your next question. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, I'm actually, believe it or not, Kelton, I am in the throes of trying to write a few book proposals to see which is the next book I want to write. To see which one sticks? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Even though I've been doing this for a fairly long time, I still try to write fairly thorough proposals before I launch into a book. That's less for the publisher than it is for me. It offers me a way to stress test the idea to see whether I'm interested in it, to see whether it holds up, to see whether I want to spend the next two years working on this kind of thing. So that's what I'm doing right now. And I'm actually writing multiple proposals just to see, you know, which one or ones feel the best. Yeah. So technically, I mean, that's this is what nonfiction writers do to kind of get the ball rolling there. And, and actually, listeners may not know that you are also a TV producer and TV well, producer yeah. Yeah, yeah. Is, is code for also writers. So were you writing your uh, National Geographic show as well? A little bit of it. What I was doing more than anything else was actually helping kind of conceive the segments, figure out the segments, you know, lay them out. And then also the way that we did the show required a lot of uh, on-the-fly decisions because we would do these, ex- you know, for the, list, for, the, for the handful of listeners who didn't see every episode of the show Crowd Control, I should point out that the show was a really great show on National Geographic. Uh, we did 12 episodes of a series where we took uh, problems out there in the world, things like people speeding, people uh, jaywalking, people parking in disabled spaces, kids peeing in pools. <laughs> and then using social science and some cool design and technology, we would put a solution in place, turn on our cameras and, and, and see what happens. So a lot of the, the quote-unquote producing was actually on the fly where we – you know, we do the experiment and see how people reacted. And, and you had to figure out, okay, what's going on here? How are we going to cover this and so forth? Yeah. Yeah. So thinking on your feet quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. When you're getting ready to, to launch into a bigger writing project, how much time are, would you say per day that you're kind of researching or, you know, reading about your uh, topic? It really depends. You know, my process generally is to, for a nonfiction book, is to, you know, begin with kind of a skeletal outline and then, you know, and, and then spend in those, it depends on what kind of, it depends on how I'm, how I'm doing the research. If it's, if it's research that involves reading a lot of papers and so forth, that's one thing. If it involves doing, you know, actual reporting where you're going out and interviewing people, watching stuff happening, that's another story. But I, I in the reporting and research phase, I, I like to spend where I can, you know, most of the, most of the work day on it. So before you sit down to actually get uh, clack in there, do you have any pregame rituals or, or practices that kind of get you in the mode? Pregame rituals? No, you know, I mean, what I will do many times is I'll check my email just to make sure that there isn't something urgent. And that's always a really bad idea <laughs> because you can get, you know, you just go down the rabbit hole of useless email. Right. So, but in terms of, you know, do I say any prayers or have rosary beads or you know, spin three times on my <laughs> desk. Uh, I know I don't do anything like that. I just open the door and put my butt in the chair. Very nice. Do you write every day when you're, when you're working on something big? When I'm working on something big, I do. When I'm working on a book or it's sort of at the stage where I've done enough research, where I feel like I've more or less mastered a lot of the material and can move on to executing it, uh, I, I actually will be pretty, I look at it like, I, I think of it as bricklaying, where I'll, you know, come to my office show up in my office at a certain time, you know, you, you know, like let's say nine o'clock and then I will set myself a, a word count for the day, mm. let's say 500 words. And then I will and turn off my phone, turn off my email, and then I will do nothing, truly nothing until I hit my word count. And 
if I hit my word count at 11 in the morning, hallelujah. If it's two o'clock in the afternoon, and I still haven't hit my word count. I ain't going anywhere. I'll, you know, cancel meetings and cancel phone calls in the afternoon. You know, if it takes me till eight in the evening, which it actually has, unfortunately, <laughs> I won't do anything else. Gotcha. So is your most productive locale, your office there that we've seen pictures of? Ah, yes. The beautiful Pink Ink World Headquarters, which is a refurbished garage behind my house in Washington, D.C. That's where the magic happens. Are you a writer who can listen to music while you write or do you prefer a silence? I hate I cannot listen to music while I do. I can listen to music when I run or exercise and that's it. Or, or you know, just listening to music for the sake of listening to music. Yeah. I actually have the exact opposite view when I when I write. I will uh, I have these little foam earplugs that I sometimes will put in just in case, mm. I don't know, some imaginary sound is out there. <laughs> and I also, I even now have uh, noise-canceling headphones that I will wear. So uh, I, like, I like silence. That, that way I can tune in more accurately to my own anguish. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. Are you someone who believes in writer's block? No. I think writer's block is I really do. And I think that you know, you know, most writers agree with that. Writer's block is for, is for amateurs. Get your butt in the seat and get to work. Let's talk about your workflow. What hardware or typewriter are you using there in the garage? Typewriter in the garage. Uh, I've, I've moved beyond typewriters, fortunately. Here's what I've got in the setup. Well, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I have both a MacBook Air laptop and a, I think it's a 21-inch screen, maybe 25-inch screen, iMac. And I use my laptop for my air for a lot of things, but I actually will write books or even, even articles on the iMac. Hmm. That's just a, I don't know why I do that. I think I do I, I, because the screen is so big, I can put up a lot of stuff. Yeah. But the other thing that it does is so it, it does fix me in place. So I'm not tempted to, even though the files exist in, in Dropbox, I could do it, do it anywhere. There's something about sort of that fixedness of coming to the same spot every single day, looking at the same screen every single day that helps me do stuff. So what do you find when, in your workflow, your most used software for writing and kind of staying organized? So, I mean, for writing, I have made a dramatic leap into 1996 by using Word. Although I do, I mean, I like to say, uh, I, as I said before, I mean, Dropbox is my co-pilot. I, I become so reliant on putting everything in Dropbox. And I have, though, uh, being a modern guy, I've started to use uh, Evernote a little bit, but uh, I could easily get by with, with Word and Dropbox. And then your crucial outlining, that's part of your kind of organizational method. Do you also do you have any other hacks or, or you know, are you a post-it note guy at all? You know what I am? It's, it's interesting. I have, um, well, it's interesting to me because it's about me, but I don't know if it's interesting to anybody else. But the, I use what I refer to as, and I, this is a term of art, big ass stickies, which are you know, these giant post-it notes. And I prefer the graph paper versions of them. There's something, mm. something about graph paper that I love. I don't know. This makes me feel like I'm imposing some order on a world moving toward entropy or something. So I will, so I don't, I don't use whiteboards. I will use these, I will use these big ass stickies and put them all over, uh, put them all over my office. I like to write on stuff. I like to outline. I like to see it. And I, I like to see stuff. So, so actually behind me, so I face a window, but if I turn my, my chair around, 
there's a sort of a, a wall of cabinets. And I will put a lot, like for, for when I was writing this book, To Sell as Human, I would have various outlines and things there. And sometimes, I mean, it sounds bizarre, but it actually is, a, it works for me. I sometimes will just turn my chair and look at the outlines. Hmm. Just look at them. Yeah. And sort of let it simmer a little bit. So, so for me, seeing that kind of stuff on the walls is, is really helpful. So do you have any best practices for beating procrastination? I know you mentioned it, or are you someone who just kind of leans into the procrastination? No, I think that I and, and many people, most writers, face uh, you know, what Stephen Pressfield calls the resistance every single day. You know, all of the forces of the universe are conspiring to make you stop writing. And so what I will do, I think that what helps beat procrastination is, as weird as it is, is a structure so that if I get up in the morning, when I go to sleep the night before, I know what I'm doing that next morning. I'm writing 500 words. I don't want to get to the office, turn on my computer and say, huh, what should I do today? Should I, you know, type in ESPN.go.com and spend an hour there? <laughs> or should I write 500 words? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'll do the ESPN thing. I don't want to have that. Ch- I don't, you know, I don't want to, I want the structure to say the choice is made for me. Here's what you do. That's how I beat procrastination. Nice. I mean, sometimes procrastination wins. Procrastination is a ferocious opponent. Well put. So at the end of a long day, how do you unplug? How do I unplug? I'm a pretty boring guy. You know, I, I actually, I spend, I don't really do all that much, Kelton. I spend, you know, I, I spend, I have, my wife and I have three kids. So, so I actually spend a lot of time with, compared to maybe some other people, I like to spend time with my family, I just like talking to them, hanging out with them. So that's one thing that I do. Uh, I try to, especially when I'm writing, I try to run every day if I possibly can. So when we're done here today, um, I will go for a run, probably go faster because I'm so exhilarated by talking about myself. And then, um, I don't know, I like to eat good food and drink good wine. And because I'm on the verge of being an old man, I I like to listen to baseball on the radio. (laughs) Very nice. I basically just ensured that no one (laughs) would ever want to hang out with me. Let's talk about creativity a little bit. And, you know, because I know in your work, creativity is kind of a big part of getting into, well, a lot of what you talk about involves storytelling. And even though you're, you kind of talk about social behavior and, and uh, psychology, can you define creativity in your own words? Creativity is giving the world something it didn't know it was missing. That's my favorite definition. I think that the definition originally came from Paolo Antonelli at, at uh, the Museum of Modern Art. Hmm. And when do you personally feel the most creative? Aside from right now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when do I feel the most creative? You know, it's weird. I, I, I actually feel, uh, sometimes feel the most creative when I'm in motion, whether I'm running or traveling somewhere. I, mean, I get a lot of good ideas when I'm in motion. Hmm. I've had many guests actually mentioned that they get a lot of work done on the plane. Do you find that phenomenon as well? I can't write on planes. I mean, I probably could if I had to, but I don't like writing on planes. It's just not the right environment for me for whatever weird idiosyncrasies. But I can, um, I can focus pretty intently on, on planes. So I will use airplanes to either um, – uh, I can edit on planes. So I'll edit pages or I will – 
yeah, a lot of times I will, and this is, this is just another just really exciting facet of my life. I will sometimes batch my email and spend an airplane ride, you know, answering 70 emails. <laughs> Circling back to our friend who talks about resistance, do you have a creative muse? No. Come on. I just, you know, I'm a bricklayer who happens to use a computer. That's, you know, I, don't, I think that's, do, do people really give you a serious answer to that? <laughs> I don't know. I'm serious. I mean, come on. Do people say, oh, yes, my creative muse is named Daphne, and she appears to me in the corner of my office every day at 8. Sure. It probably should be redacted from the... Uh... No, I like it. It's, it's basically a test to see who's full of it and who's not. Because <laughs> I think if the answer is yes, you should cease the interview. <laughs> this interview's <laughs> over. So, in your opinion, what makes a writer great? That's an interesting question. So, what makes a, what makes a writer great? Sort of what, um, I think it's the... It's the ability to look at something that other people have looked at and see something entirely different, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's part of it. I also think it's the ability to linger in somebody's mind long after the encounter is over. I think that's a mark of a, a really good writer. Hmm. Do you have some favorite authors at the moment? Gazillions of them. I mean, I think there's so many good. I think there's so many, so many, so many good writers out there. Um, and I think that you can learn from, you know, I mean, lots of them. I mean, I just I would have to give you kind of an exhaust, you know, not an exhaustive, but just a gigantic, massive list. So, for instance, like Michael Lewis is the guy's unbelievably good. It just it's irritating how good he is. <laughs> I mean, he, no, he's really just extraordinary. So I will, you know, so so Mike, I would put Michael Lewis on. I would put Michael Lewis on the top of any list. Uh, Kate Boo, Catherine Boo, who wrote uh, the journal, journalist, I think she's extraordinary. Uh, I like the short story writer, novelist sometimes, uh, Edgar Carrot, Israeli guy who writes these super short, itty-bitty short stories. I like the Japanese novelist uh, Haruki Murakami. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like uh, Juno Diaz. I love uh, Colson Whitehead, another novelist. But, you know, like in my world, I also, you know, I like Malcolm Gladwell. I know it's like, some people think it's uncool, but I think he's awesome. <laughs> I like, you know, guys who, you know, from pure business writers like um, Seth Godin and, and, um, and Tom Peters. My favorite novel in the last decade is a book called uh, Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk uh, by a guy named Ben Fountain. You know, I like Philip Roth. I like Toni Morrison, those kind of legendary, those kind of legendary writers. Uh, I like uh, George Pelicanos, a uh, local guy who, who writes. I, I like uh, Adam Kilgore, who is a sports writer for the Washington Post. Uh, I used to love reading Gary Smith stuff in Sports Illustrated. So I, I, think there's, uh, I think that Derek Thompson at The Atlantic is one of the best young writers around. There's so many, so many great people, just so many. You share a lot of uh, great quotes in your work and, and in your speaking. Can you share maybe a, a, a best love quote that kind of floats to the top right now? That floats to the top. I guess my, my best love, well, I mean, I like the, the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that says, I hate quotations. Tell me what you know. <laughs> yeah. So I like that. Uh, I also like, um, there's a great Viktor Frankl quote. Victor Frankl says, uh, live as if you were already living for a second time and as if you had made the mistakes you are about to make now. <laughs> I think that's incredibly good advice. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do a, little, a couple of fun questions next. 
I thought the other ones, I thought the first ones were fun. <laughs> okay, good. I shouldn't preface it like that. Yeah. Who is your favorite literary character? Favorite literary character? You know, it's going to be weird because uh, he's just so deranged. But uh, I would say Nathan Zuckerman from the uh, Philip Ross Zuckerman novels. Hmm. Nice. And please do not, listeners, impute any psychological meaning to that. <laughs> That's right. I just love his level of derangement and it's just sort of his obsessiveness. And also, I like the fact that, that Roth was able to carry him through multiple books. So if you could choose one author from any era Ooh. for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, where would you go and who would you take? Just one? I'm sorry. Well, okay. You know, in your case, you can bring two. Yeah, I'm going to break this rule a little bit because I actually have an answer to that. Okay. But it doesn't quite conform to the structure that you're, you're, you're giving me. But, and I say this like, in, in all seriousness, if it, if it were somehow metaphysically possible, I would like to sit down with Muhammad, Buddha, and Jesus. And I would make sure that I you know, had my voice recorder, maybe even iPhone video to record the whole thing. I think it would be a great documentary. I think it would be an awesome book, too. And the reason for that is that, you know, if you think about writers, thinkers, philosophers, whatever you want to call them, who had a long reaching effect, I mean, those guys did. Okay. You know, like there, there are people out there who still care about Jesus and still care about Muhammad and still care about Buddha. All right. And, you know, we like to think, oh, Shakespeare had such a, had such a great, you know, influence, but, you know, Jesus, you know, has about 1600 years on them. <laughs> Interesting. So where would you, where would this uh, meal take place? Oh, it's got to be Chipotle just because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just can you imagine just walk into Chipotle <laughs> with Jesus, Muhammad and Buddha? I don't know. Those guys, I mean, those guys are, those guys are, those guys, I don't like, I, I feel, I feel chagrin taking him to a fancy restaurant. It wouldn't be, <laughs> you know, like it, it'd be antithetical to a lot of what they stand for. So I, I think we're going to Chipotle. Uh, I can only you know, imagine the, the uh, faces of the other diners yeah. at Chipotle. Hopefully, yeah. well, I won't make a political crack there. But yeah. So, <laughs> do you have a writer's <laughs> fetish at all? Writer's fetish? Uh, no, what do you mean by a writer's fetish? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, I know writer, writers have... Oh, okay. Yeah. It could be metaphorical. It could be something physical. No, no. You know what? Uh, I, I, I get it now. Believe it or not, I use, I use pencils. I really like using pencils for editing. And I actually have a lot of, and I, and I hate mechanical pencils. I think mechanical pencils are Satan's creation. And, and I like regular old pencils that I sharpen. And I use those for almost everything that I do at my desk. Wow, cool. So who or what has been your greatest teacher? My mistakes, no question. And can you offer any advice to fellow writers on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? You know, I guess there's, if there's a theme to this, it's the same thing, which is basically get to work. All right. Get over yourself, get to work, sit in the chair and start working. And, you know, if the if the ink isn't flowing or the cursor is not moving, maybe take a walk or something like that. But otherwise, make it move. Yeah. You know, again, I, again, it's, it's, it's like, it's like the question about the muse, you know, if you're, if you're waiting for the muse <laughs> to strike you, you're going to be there for a long time. That cursor is going to be, that cursor is going to be blinking forever. I want listeners to remember that the muse question is the, uh, 
really the it's the disqualifier the for this. Disqualifier. <laughs> so where can fellows connect with you out there? Fellow scribes, you can connect with me on um well, there's the website uh, danpink.com. There, um, I, I spend a, uh, more time than I should on Twitter, uh, where my handle is at Daniel Pink. Those are two good ways to reach me, or you know, find out what's going on. I do an email newsletter, periodic, uh, sort of irregular and irreverent email newsletter that uh, that I do just to stay in touch with readers, and that lists, you know, maybe some tips that I've learned over the years or stuff that I'm reading that I like. Yeah, and I am signing up for that as we speak. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on The Writer Files and updating your file. I'm a big fan, and I look forward to seeing your latest and greatest, and hopefully we'll see your face some more on television as well. We'll see, but I uh, appreciate it. These are, these are fun questions, and I, and I like you know, the, the print version of what you do. I like reading other people's answers, too. It's really interesting. I'm surprised that some people take themselves more seriously than I think that they should, but other people, I think, give some really, really great insight into what it's like. And, and I also think that if you... You know, that, that someone, it would be, you know, it would, I think there would be some insight in somebody going through a lot of your interviews and finding the common themes. Absolutely. I would love to, if someone were to go through the interviews and say, okay, what are the common themes on all the people you talk to? I think that would be fascinating. Yeah, definitely. I'm telling you. Thanks again, Dan. Really appreciate your time. All right. Appreciate it. Thanks, Kelton. See you later. Cheers. And thank you for tuning in to The Writer Files. Now get your butt back in the saddle. For more episodes of The Writer Files and all of the show notes, or to leave us a comment or a question, simply drop by writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter, at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there. Mm-hmm.